0: Cools. Happy hump day! And welcome to Girlfriends Podcast, brought to you by your best Girlfriends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Pod on Twitter and Girlfriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials you can find me on twitter and twitch at lulu underscore pew and i'm at hi it's lindsay underscore on all social media now let's get spooky hello gorgeous gorgeous girls I'm Lindsay and welcome to another episode of Girlfriends. Lucy is having a week off this week, but that's fine because I'm joined by the lovely Sophia. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing awesome. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm good, thanks. It's a rainy Saturday in Scotland, so I'm glad I'm in the house uh recording and talking about this amazing film. Um so today we are going to be talking about Marchers uh, from 2008. Um Sophia what made you decide to go for Martyrs?
1: <laughs> um you know it's a film that I've been thinking about for uh I mean really since it came out like I saw that uh, either late 2008 early 2009 so about about 15 years ago. Um and Uh, there was so much of that movie that like lived with me. And I remember watching it at the time and uh, it's so visceral, that there there was a point where like about halfway through, I needed to step aside and have a smoke break and be like, okay, I need to just recalibrate before I continue on this journey. Um, And we can get into when that is later. Um, But um, you know, it's just, uh, it was such a difficult movie with such a a dark ending. Um, But I also, Uh, it's kind of funny. I feel like it maybe doesn't get talked about as much as it should. And um, there was, there was this whole conversation, you know, going on at the time about, um, you know, the Saw films and Hostel and, you know, all these like uh, torture porn, they were calling them films. And um, it was kind of funny because people uh, like to think about martyrs as being very, very separate from those, those films and, and much better. And like, for all intents and purposes, I would say, yeah, it is much better than those films. But it's actually kind of funny because uh, Pascal Logier said he he wrote the film after watching Hostel. He just thought it was a cool movie and wanted <laughs> to write another movie about pain in the same way. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I love that it's like a cultural connection between, uh, you know, like schlocky American horror movies and like what's seen as like kind of a French art film in a lot of ways
0: um so yeah yeah there's certainly a lot to talk about with (laughs) martyrs and you're so right there is that connection there like it comes out in the same decade where torture porn i prefer splatter um came out and it is it's the same but different and people talk about like elevated horror in the 2010s and it's like maybe that's that stepping stone kind of as well. We have that New French extremity where we look at pain in a different way and there is such a like a feminist angle to New French extremity as well. And there's definitely feminist message or messages about feminism rather weaved in throughout this film. So it's, it's very interesting in its subject master and also when it came out in terms of horror history as well. But, yeah um but before we get into that um Sophia would you like to tell our lovely listeners a bit more about yourself how you got taller and your wee corner of the internet
1: um sure yeah so um my name is Sophia Florence I'm a comedian from uh Connecticut in the United States uh I know people are usually only familiar with Connecticut sadly because of Yale and Gilmore Girls and uh this pretty <laughs> the opposite of uh what the rest of the state is like um and so you've got these areas like outlying new york that are, are quite wealthy and then uh you've got yale which i live a few minutes from and yale uh you know wealthy but uh when you step about four blocks away from yale you step into the project so it's kind of kind of this really interesting place um but i'm from uh Waterbury, Connecticut, which, um, Around the center of the state, and it's kind of like you took a tiny little chunk of Detroit and you slapped it in the middle of New England and hoped it survived. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it hasn't done well for itself. Uh, most those people that that do something with themselves from Waterbury tend to move out. Um, but um, you know, I got into horror movies when I uh, was uh, much much younger. Uh, I would say probably around uh, eleven or twelve. Uh my family uh always allowed us uh some leeway with the blockbuster card. Uh it was, you know, it was like like no matter how poor you were, like renting movies was not a particularly expensive experience. And so um, you know, they'd say, you know, go out and rent rent a movie every week or whatever. Um, and my brother and I would rent games a lot of the times too. But then uh, you know, uh, at some point, um, We started to to rent movies, and um, I want to say the first one that I rented, uh, weirdly enough, was Army of Darkness, Uh, and uh, I thought it was really cheesy and weird, but I wanted to know, um, because it kind of gives it gives a vague descriptor of Evil Dead 2 at the beginning of the film. And so I was like, okay, what's that movie that came before this? And I watched Evil Dead 2 and it was like a life-changing experience where I was like, oh my god, wait, what was that? <laughs> what did I just see? I mean, I, you know, I think about like the laughing scene uh, where the deer head starts laughing and then the bookshelf and the lamp and everything in the room, Bash is laughing and I just think about that. That's like peak cinema for me. Like that's, that's where horror films uh, started to to learn their own place in the world it's just kind of like irreverent and silly, uh, but like, you could still make social commentary and those kinds of things. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I always loved that. Um, so I, I started to really dig, um, for horror movies and I would go out and I'd rent two or three a week. And, um, uh, you know, uh, when I got older, uh, my, my older brother, uh, went into the Navy, uh, you know, after uh, 2001, the whole 9-11 thing, uh, we don't have to talk about it, um, but he, you know, he went into the Navy after that whole thing, um, after getting out of high school. So um, I want to say his sophomore year of high school was 2001, and uh, it was my freshman year, so, um and by 2005, he was gone, and then when he came back, he was a little depressed, and uh, so we, we started, I started inviting him out. I said, uh, you know, let's go. Watch a movie on Friday or Saturday every week, and just kept going, and it it really became this tradition. But most of the time, we'd see horror horror movies, and so, um, you know, where it was a thing that I was really obsessed with as a kid, and always kind of dabbled in. Uh, wh- when I got older, um it became this big thing with my brother where we'd go and and there's some um, a couple of art house theaters in town that'll show you know nice indie flicks, but they they also have on um, uh, occasionally, you know, um, somebody would be like, I want to reshow, uh, you know, uh, the first alien movie or uh, The Exorcist on a big screen just because I want people to watch it. And so, um, yeah, there was there was like this this cool kind of access point of like classic horror and modern horror um, within this city. And then um, I actually found out that it's it's kind of pervaded the culture And Connecticut actually uh, started its own horror festival a couple of years ago. Uh, and and last year we had um, uh, Millie Shapiro was there uh, from uh, Hereditary, um, and uh, Scott Ian from the band Anthrax, which uh, I was super jazzed about, <laughs> um, and all kinds of people. And I think the guy who plays uh, the the clown from Terrifier Art uh, is going to be there this year.
0: I got to meet him at HorrorCon in the UK last year. Uh, Lucy, who I co-host with, bought me a picture opportunity as part of my 30th birthday the year prior. So I got to meet him and uh, we watched the Q&A and stuff and he's just the nicest guy.
1: He seems like he would be such a nice guy. Like It's so funny I always think of like the people that do the killing in these movies and... It seems like they're probably the nicest people. Like like I watch interviews with Brad Doriff, uh who played Chucky, and he just always seems like such a pleasant guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so what about your little corner of the internet? Like what what do you like to do online? Do you post your comedy on there? Like do you write? Like what?
1: Oh god, yeah. So um I I actually started um on on twitter and all that um it was like right before the pandemic because i i had a movie i was working on and uh which is now i wouldn't say in development hell it's it's oh. it's just in post and it'll be in post forever <laughs> uh well it'll get out of post eventually um but I, I had this movie i was working on um and i cut a trailer for it and i wanted people to watch it and um uh, we ended up reshooting half of it so i got rid of the trailer but Uh, that was because of the pandemic and so but but right before the pandemic I start you know posting about this movie and then all of a sudden like some other comedians start following me and some horror directors start following me and I was like oh shoot I didn't really mean to attract all this attention to myself (laughs) Uh, and then it was like well I have a lot of people looking at me now that uh, have more interesting lives than I do so now I have to say something Um, uh, and then I you know kept cross-posting comedy stuff um, you know letting people know about comedy shows but uh, I connected with a lot of comedians, um, and then a lot of other, uh, scientists and engineers and, and mathematicians. I'm somebody who works kind of on the border of all three. So, um, I really, uh, you know, I like digging in those spheres, but I also like finding people that, you know, write about these, uh, incredible topics that are completely disparate from something that I would ever learn. And so, you know, uh, finding, finding interesting, like social scientists or, um, uh, you know, uh, Marxian economists or something. just just people people that I'm like, oh, this this person knows something about the world that I want to know about, but I don't have the time to sit down and read a book. And so if I listen to their commentary, I can maybe get some knowledge by osmosis.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so like
1: my corner my of the internet has really been like the whole internet. I've become like a weird internet octopus where I was just like, I want to learn all of the things. And unfortunately, sometimes you step into the bad parts of the internet and... Like, uh, you know, weird far-right extremism stuff. And it's like, yeah. oh, I learned I learned way too much about that in the past decades.
0: I think it's really interesting that you, as a comedian, have gone for such a dark film. Because there is that conversation around comedians. And they do sometimes deal with some really dark stuff internally when you think about um like the ones that we see on tv we find that some of them have really bad depression or addiction issues and some of them pass away quite young and like what what do you think about that intersection with like darkness and comedy and why people kind of choose to do it
1: oh god i you know i think uh to be honest that that all comedians are just a little bit dark um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i i i was doing a comedy show uh, a couple weeks ago um just outside of hartford and uh, a friend of mine rob santos who's in the movie that i directed um he's uh another comedian very brilliant guy super funny uh, very off the cuff but uh you know he struggles with a borderline personality disorder and, and ptsd um tends to be with that um but you know he was he was doing uh, a set and i think he made the audience a little nervous for a second um because he said he said you know sometimes I just feel so dark and so horrible that I just want to find people that are the most down in the world and kick them and he's like because I feel so horrible (laughs) and I just I want somebody else to be there with me Hmm. um and he was he was like you know I'm like waiting for somebody to walk me up and ask me for change and just punch him in the face and I was like (laughs) <laughs> I was like you know obviously like I don't want to do that but in this very like visceral like weird part of your brain like I get it um I have obsessive compulsive disorder so I have uh intrusive thoughts and most of mine uh tend to be like more on the violent side and I never do anything violent personally like I'm not engaged in violence in my life but like uh when your brain is is you know running these uh <laughs> like exploitation films in the back of your head like yeah, yeah of course like uh, joking helps to get a lot of that off your chest. And I feel like a lot of the comedians I've known, um almost everyone has had some struggle with depression or or mental illness in general or um you know, and it's actually kind of kind of funny that uh with, the, with this film, uh, Pascal Logier said like, um when he was writing the film, he was really struggling with depression. and so that was like part of part of why he wrote it, like, you know, he's inspired by, you know, some other films, but um the depression aspect kind of took over for him uh and I feel uh in a lot of ways like yeah a lot of us that make a lot of art and put a lot of time into it um do so from a place of uh sometimes like a lot of pain um it's just a way to like channel that pain into something that isn't also horrible
0: yeah um and that's very much what martyrs is as well. Like you said, Loger was dealing with really severe <laughs> depression to the point of being suicidal and wrote this. And like I I really love martyrs. It's hard to watch, but I can't help but think of it as a masterpiece in a lot of ways. Um Yeah, so with that being said, let's get into Martyrs. Yeah, definitely. So the IMDb plot for Martyrs is as follows. A young woman's quest for revenge against the people who kidnapped and tormented her as a child leads her and a friend, who is also a victim of child abuse, on a terrifying journey into a living hell of depravity. This film came out in 2008. Stars Morgana Aloe, Mylene and Gampone, and Catherine Begin. It was written and directed by Pascal Laugier. And he also worked on Incident in a Ghostland and The Tall Man. Um, so the film starts off in 1971 and we see Lucy escaping from what looks like an old slaughterhouse. Um, She is covered in like markings of abuse. She's had her hair cut. She's wearing really dirty clothes and underwear and she's just running for her life and screaming um well like what what do you think of these opening shots cuz i feel like the first time i watched this film i thought it was going to be a very different film in the beginning
1: yeah i wasn't sure if it was going to be a film about the little girl and like it's going to be um i i almost feel like that film about a little girl would have been like too difficult to watch like it would be like uh, it never would have worked. Nobody, nobody would have been able to sit through it. Um but uh yeah I remember seeing those first couple of shots because I, I wasn't you know sure what I was heading into with the movie. Um at the time there was um uh you know a, f- a film rental service to so like my cable box on the TV and I would just go over the horror movies and whatever was on there um I'd just watch it um it's just a way to you know pass the time uh before I had to go to work most days and um yeah I remember seeing those first couple minutes and I was like all right I'm I'm already sold like like whatever's happening here I need to know the rest of the story but also like holy crap I've never seen a movie that um it didn't bother to go to, from zero to 60 it just started at 60 and stayed there
0: yeah 100 percent um so, in this first act of the film, I'll call it as well, um, it's intercut with images of what happened to Lucy before she came to the orphanage. Um, At the orphanage, her and Anna bond straight away. They are besties from the get-go. And we see f- from the orphanage days that so Lucy is haunted, by this figure, she's having these awful nightmares, she's screaming, she's claiming to be attacked by it, um, and I really thought this was, like, the first time I watched it, like, a demon film, I thought it was a demon, I thought it, it was literally something harming her, Um, what, like, what did you think about it, or were you a bit more switched on than me?
1: Uh, yeah, no, I had no idea what it was, and, like, um you know i didn't even get like a a good synopsis before i watched it i think i just saw the title of the film so like i was willing to accept that this could be like some supernatural entity that's haunting her uh or um, uh, you know i feel like at the time there was a lot of movies pulling that bait and switch where like you had something that seemed supernatural but wasn't Uh, you know like m night Shyamalan was kind of like at the peak of his career um and so like or it would be like oh the girl's a ghost you know there's always these uh, little surprises but um uh, you know I was just kind of kind of along for the ride um and I yeah I mean I you know they really don't fully give that away until I mean close to 60 minutes in
0: yeah so you're saying bait and switch there I feel like next scene is very much that we're in this like gorgeous family home you know mum dad two kids very generic they're eating breakfast and mum comes in with a dead mouse and puts it on the table I don't know why that triggered me so much I'm like <laughs> get that mouse out of there my cat um brings home shoes sometimes and I'm just like get out of my house <laughs> it's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> anyway um you know, idyllic family situation, very nice. Everyone's having breakfast. Boom, Lucy mm-hmm. is at the door with a shotgun, and she is just blasting holes in everyone. And like, I remember again the first time watching this, I'm just like, I don't know, I don't know what to think. This is such like a, like such a shift in tone. We've had like horrible abused children and happy an idyllic family and now like what well, the first time you watch her like is this some assassin at the door just like is this the is this the government the cia or something like you have no idea what's going on but all you can see is lucy blowing holes in people
1: yeah and they don't tell you either right away that it's no. lucy you're just like this woman walked in the door and started shooting everyone in this house uh, and 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 no mercy too. Like you know, uh, like it's uh, you know the the it's it's not like she left the kids alone or anything. She was like, no, no, no. Everyone in this house is dying right now.
0: Yeah, because like you can understand why she does it to the adults. Obviously, when you find out later that they are the people that abused her when she was younger. But the kids, the kids haven't done anything. But then I can also see it from the perspective of they abused me when I was a child. And this is horrific, like chronic beatings. Uh, But they let these two have a happy, like normal childhood. Like I could understand perhaps like the jealousy in that of like, you could have treated me like that, but you chose not to. So I guess it's it's misplaced anger, but I understand why she would perhaps be angry that these children are so well looked after.
1: Yeah, it, it could be that. That's one one angle I've always thought of. And then the other angle is just, uh, you know, like a practicality thing. Like, I just killed your parents. Uh, sorry, you guys were watching and I need to make sure that you're dead too, so that you don't tell the cops that I've done this.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is also true. <laughs> um so Lucy phones Anna from the house and she's like I find them you need to come over and Anna is horrified but she kind of has to hide this from Lucy um because Lucy feels very justified in doing this I don't I I struggled a little bit on this watch with Lucy and her actions I think maybe because Personal reasons, I've had someone who used to lean on me a lot, try to re-enter my life in quite an abrupt way. So I'm watching this kind of with that in my head. And when Anna's like, We talked about this, we shouldn't like you shouldn't have done this. We were we were gonna phone the police, and Lucy is just running off emotion. She's not rational, she's not thinking about anybody else or consequences of anything. I was really feeling for Anna in a lot of this part of the film because I don't want to say selfish but like the word like you're being really selfish like kept coming into my mind watching Lucy do what she does
1: yeah it's uh, the the revenge plot uh doesn't help anyone except for herself and it's not like uh I, I would imagine she's at least got enough know-how to know that uh, you know the cult pervades those those particular people like I say it's not like it's, it's not like it just stops there. It's like, it's like, yeah, these people might be the center or they might be, you know, high ranking members or something. They may be the people that affected you personally, but like, there's more people. And so, so killing them accomplishes next to nothing. um, And then just leaves Anna to clean up the bodies, which, um, You know, especially, uh, I I just, I don't think anybody's ever ready for that kind of job.
0: No, and that's the thing as well. Like, obviously, Anna was in that home for a reason as well. And we hear in the conversation with the mother a bit later on, like, how she's, like, apologizing for what she did to her. So Anna's a child of abuse. And then you let her walk into something that's traumatizing. You let her deal with all the dead bodies another traumatizing thing and then it actually turns out one of them's not even dead so there's there's that whole inner conflict as well of what does anna do with that and then lucy just murders her with a hammer right in front of her so i feel for anna so much because there's like all these other stressful things and she's also being an abused child and it's just like n- none of this had to happen like you did not have to give this girl any more trauma
1: yeah i i always feel like there was there was no reason to bring anna into it like if you really felt mm. had to do the thing maybe leave your other friend at home <laughs> Uh, you know, like, like, uh, she didn't need to be an accomplice. And I mean, really like that whole act of bringing her into it was Anna's undoing in the, in the end. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like, you really screwed your friend by bringing her into this. She could have just lived on the rest of her life and had a, a fairly normal and happy life.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, because we find her in the phone call with the mother as well. These two have been at this for two years like, that's a really long time to go hunting for these people, and like, I don't, for Lucy to act so recklessly, I'm just like, ah, like, it makes me so angry, like, watching it, but it's just frustration because the journey that Anna goes through, like, I love Anna so much, Um, and especially, like, later on in the film with everything she goes through, she's got so much fight in her, and I just hate seeing this happen to her and that's where a lot of the frustration comes from as well
1: oh yeah definitely um it's it's kind of funny because I feel like on my first watch I was so incomprehensibly lost as to what Lucy was doing Mm. and then on my second watch I was like all right I kind of get it (laughs) like like I get why uh these people freaked you out so badly because like I feel like even what happened to Lucy probably doesn't rival what she saw. Mm. Um, and and just things that she had seen. And so, like that quest for revenge uh must have been kind of serious. But also, uh, you know, part part of me always thinks about um, and I, I know that this was inspired by Hostel, and one of the mm-hmm. themes of Hostel was that you know, this this wasn't some small operation that was carried out by some limited group of people. It was kind of a big conspiracy. And so you had um, law enforcement types involved and stuff like that. Um, and mm-hmm. so maybe maybe part of the reason Lucy decided never to call the cops was because like she knew that there was just cops embedded in the whole thing. And there was just no way to, to undo it without uh, going on a violent murder spree. Although I, I think we're supposed to think about like what, what, what are the implications of her actions? Like, why is she doing this? And I also think that this is a movie that you're never supposed to have an answer for mm. almost anything. Uh, like you're along for the ride. It's a film about pain, um, and uh, you're, you're you're not allowed any other information. Like you're you're left with what you have.
0: Yeah, very true. Um, so. Everyone in the household is dead. Uh, The mother briefly came back to life, which I find quite bizarre, but adds another element, I suppose. So everyone's dead. Anna's dealt with them all, buried them all. But Lucy is still being haunted by this demonic figure. And we have this flashback to the moment that Lucy was able to escape. And the mother it comes comes over to feed her i think it is and then she uh lucy manages to push her over and she like breaks her ankle and she's uncuffed at this moment so she's able to escape her room and when she does she sees this other woman who has been abused as well and in that moment as a small child she decides to save herself which as much as i've been ragging on lucy quite a bit like I can't imagine living with that, thinking that you might have been able to save someone and didn't. And this demonic figure that's been following her around since childhood is like an embodiment of that woman. Um, what did you think of this reveal? Cause I feel like it was really well done.
1: I thought it was great. Um, that like um because you saw that that demonic figure from the beginning and um seeing that it's you know it's uh pictured as this woman she saw but it's it's like an embodiment of survivor's guilt um i think it's something that a lot of people from a lot of different places can relate to for different reasons and even you know if you're you know your average person didn't escape from uh a, a cult uh or something like that um You know, it was uh, something that I described to myself a a couple, a couple months ago. I'm talking about uh, the experience of, you know, having grown up in in particularly bad poverty and then uh, being able to get out, but having a lot of friends from my childhood being, you know, jail, dead, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, you know, it it sucks being the one that escaped sometime, and, you know, seeing that theme in um, The Last of Us recently, I thought kind of brought that home in a lot of ways
0: yeah um so we see from Anna's perspective when Lucy is feels like she's physically wrestling with this demon and it's cutting down her arms, it's actually Lucy that's doing it, and then she you know she thought that killing these people would alleviate her of her survivor's guilt. This thing is still haunting her, and Lucy then dies by suicide um which is really sad again it's like yet another traumatic thing that Anna has to witness um you know it's kind of hinted at that Anna's in love with this woman she tries to kiss her at one point um and she obviously even if it's not romantic love if it was platonic you don't follow someone around for two years on a revenge plot if you don't have some kind of love for them um so it's really it's really sad To see that there was nothing that could have been done to help Lucy. And it is sad to see Anna like watch this person she loves do this as well.
1: Yeah, I think the suicide was honestly like one of the more difficult uh, scenes in the movie um, because you're like, oh my God, like Lucy must feel terrible because she realized that like uh, having done this, uh, you know, brutal act of murder brought her absolutely no. Closure, no joy. Um, the, the the closure is ultimately something that she'd have to get from herself. And and sadly, she took a, a very shortcut kind of way to get there. Um, and then yeah, Anna's just sitting there in the house, like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? You know, here I've got like, I thought we cleaned up all the dead bodies. Now I have another one. It's the person that I love. Um, I, the only person I've been around since I've been growing up that I, I really care about. And Uh, I'm stuck in a stranger's house.
0: Yeah, because it's that way as well. Like, they stayed there for that bit longer because Anna was like, well, if we leave and anyone comes looking, then they know that you used the phone to phone me. So we kind of have to stay here until the dust settles. So they've been there. It's not really said how long, like... A few days maybe a week I don't know so they've been there for a bit and Anna will be in that situation like she's kind of estranged from her mother like as soon as Lucy dies that's the first person she phones and it's not the best conversation um you know it's a, it's a little bit abrasive um so she really has no one and nowhere to go but then she finds this like secret passageway in the home And I guess it, like, for Anna, it gives her that confirmation as well that, like, what Lucy was saying was right. Because I guess this whole time, Anna's just had to go on what Lucy said. She's, like, nobody knows. Nobody's been able to find this place. Nobody's been able to find this group of people that did this to her. So kind of finding this room is, like, oh, like, so she was telling the truth then, like, this is a thing. So, in this room, we find this woman who is covered head to toe in cuts and has this like metal thing, like it looks like it's like stapled in her head. And Anna, I think Anna is a very naturally like caring person. She like gets her up the stairs, she gets her in the bath, and she has this like alcoholic cotton swab at one point. And last night when I was watching it, it was a look on Anna's face that it was just like, where do I start? And there was so many different ways you could play that scene. And I think like the actress, just in her like facial expression, did like such a good job to convey all the kind of different emotions that you would have coming across something like that. Because I I feel like I would think the same, like looking at this poor person and being like, where do do I even begin to help this person?
1: Yeah, I I think the most jarring thing about that was... um... That the the woman that she found, uh, wasn't just. It wasn't just that she had been physically tortured. It's that she had, um, either been born with or had lost the ability to speak over time. I always thought the intent was that she had lost the ability to speak. Like, um, the torture had been so prolonged that uh, eventually, words just stopped meaning anything. It was just kind of um. Uh and and that was difficult. I actually had shown somebody this movie about six or seven years ago. And they got to this point in the movie and were like, no, I'm not, I'm not finishing this. I am not watching the rest wow. of this. I don't care where it goes. Um <laughs> yeah, it was rough. Um and and I get it. Yeah, this is this is like a really difficult part of the movie because also none of none of this is particularly like divorced from reality. Like these are just things that could happen. Mm. Um, and so, you know, finding somebody that's in that kind of psychological and physical state, like it's not impossible. Um, uh, and I, th- I think that's what got a lot of people is that like this, it's not, you know, ultra realistic. It's not like things like this are happening all the time, but it's certainly like things like that could happen. They're not, they're not outside of the bounds reality.
0: Me and my sister have those conversations semi-regularly about hostel, like, because we'll both be like, that is totally existing in the world. And we just are an echo chamber for each other agreeing. Like, that <laughs> will exist. There because the tourists go missing, and that will be a thing. Um, And yeah, probably, unfortunately, this is probably a thing as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, both of those things are very possible. I, that was definitely something I thought about. Hostile, and I think maybe that's part of uh, part of the inspiration between Hostel and this film, where it was like, oh, this is this is possible. Like, uh, it's it's an extreme scenario, but like it's certainly you know everybody's uh, had that uh, you know most dangerous game kind of thing where they talk about you know, you put a bunch of humans on an island and hunt them. So like this isn't that far from that. True. It's just, it's, it's rich people using humans for a, a different kind of purpose, but...
0: So, um, the strange group of people descend on the house. And this woman that Anna tried to save is shot dead, and um, they start to question Anna about, like, what happened to the original, like, what happened to the people who live here? The group's leader, Mademoiselle. It turns up and she explains what it is that's going on. So, like when Anna first went into the secret chamber, there were all these images of people in the midst of dying, whether they were like starving or dying of a terminal illness. And Madame Wazelle explains that this is a secret society aimed at trying to find the secrets of the afterlife through the creation of martyrs. And they create martyrs by capturing young women and inflicting systematic acts of torture on them in the belief that their suffering will result in a like transcendental insight into the world beyond um what do you think of mademoiselle and her explanation of what it is that she's doing here
1: oh god it's honestly like it's one of the most horrific possible things that somebody could do um it's it's and i think this was like the the moment that i felt i i had already felt some dread in this film but like really coming to grips with like the insanity of what they were doing um because it's like you you could have been torturing people for any reason they were like we're just very curious about the afterlife and it's like whoa that's real crazy <laughs> like uh have you guys thought about therapy uh, as <laughs> a really dark moment um that uh it, it doesn't change the tone of the film the film is dark from beginning to end but uh it it gives you context that you never had before because you're like why um and uh, I would imagine that even as, uh, as, you know, a little girl, like Lucy probably knew some of this and was like acquainted with this information. And maybe that's part of why she was so gung-ho about it because she was like, these people are crazy. They're going to keep doing this forever. They're like uh, a weird uh, subset of batshit religious extremists. Like... Uh, you you can't stop that kind of thing. you know the, there's there's really never been like um a definitive kind of like cult to deprogramming. It's not really a thing that happens um and I'm I'm sure um uh Lucy probably went down the rabbit hole with that kind of stuff trying to figure it out uh during the course of her life. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Mademoiselle like that's the, the scariest thing. <laughs>
0: The way the the way Mademoiselle looks and kind of the way she like talks and carries herself, I want to love this woman. Like she seems like she'd be absolutely fabulous, but she's so evil. Like she like the way that she casually talks about torturing people to death. It's just so chilling.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, she looks like my 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 great grandmother when I was a child. So I was like, you know, I'd I'd expect her to give me a caramel candy more than I would for her to talk about torturing people for religious purposes. Uh, sadly, yeah, she decided to choose the latter.
0: Yeah, um, I think at this point in the film as well, um, we really get into that uh, the religious themes in the film. Um, there's a lot of like, the giving of the body in Catholicism and in sainthood and martyrdom, and Logier talks about being, like, a, a, I've lived a Catholic life. I don't think he identifies as Catholic, but they've lived a Catholic life. Um, Is Catholicism something that's been in your life or not so much?
1: Um, a little bit on the periphery. So when I was, when I was a kid, um, I grew up, um, my, my father was, uh, absent. Uh, my mother, um, had kind of syncretic religious beliefs. She's kind of, kind of all over the map, uh, just, uh, interested in a lot of different things. Um, but my, my great grandparents, uh, took care of myself and my older brother during the day and they were, uh, you know, Roman Catholic, uh, very Sicilian, uh, um and then uh their daughter my grandmother uh had converted to the evangelical church during uh kind of kind of its rebirth in the 80s and uh so um like being familiar with Catholicism which like has its its extreme elements but but for the most part is uh probably the most normy version of religion that you could possibly imagine I think in like a lot of ways and then like being acquainted with like going to church with my grandmother every week and like people would be like speaking in tongues and, and rolling around and, and, um, you know, they'd have three-day conferences where people prayed to end abortion or whatever. Um, uh, there, there was part of me that was like super, you know, after having gotten out of that, um, you know, in my, um, I, I, w- I would say it was probably about 12 when I just stopped with the whole church thing. Because I was like, there's something about this is really weird. And like, I can't put my finger on it. But as a 12-year-old, I was like, I'm not going to go to church with grandma anymore. Like, there's mm-hmm. something real dark about that shit. Um, and so, um, you know, having grown up close to, like, um, and, uh, you know, now evangelicals have, have become this, like, giant force on the hard right in the U.S. And uh, it's it's like this whole other thing but I feel like part of me like kind of knew that was coming when I was a kid and I didn't want to be close to it
0: mm. um
1: and so yeah having, having grown up around like like Catholicism which does have like a like an emphasis on pain and then um uh, evangelicalism which uh is is as extremist as you could get for Christian sex in general and uh very very involved politically um is uh yeah it gave me a lot of interesting context for this movie.
0: Definitely. Like, I'm not Catholic, and as much as the UK's Christian country, like more on the Protestant side, like it's not something I've ever been brought up with. But the whole idea of like the communion and the giving of the body and sainthood, like made me think a lot like they're it's like they're trying to make saints martyrs out of these people but the people who we think of as saints who have been canonised as saints, like, it was their choice to do these things and Anna has no choice in this so they're trying to make something out of her, like, if she you know, had did this to save a child or, you know basket of kittens from drowning or something fair enough but she has no choice in this matter um she's forced into this and i think this is perhaps where they're going wrong with it um not that i want to encourage anyone to do this (laughs) to get the (laughs) optimal result but (laughs) this is perhaps where they're going wrong with it like they're not giving these girls any choice
1: yeah yeah they said uh you know in 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 mademoiselle's speech she's talking about how they keep creating uh victims who you know aren't able to to speak uh and just kind of succumb to the pain um which i, I think describes the the woman they they had found uh originally um and uh they're you know they're trying to do this and it's like uh, of course this doesn't work why would this work
0: yeah and i guess that goes into you know, this film is very Marmite and a lot of critics have been like this film is so nihilistic because it just feels like pain for nothing but that's also kind of the point like they're doing all these things they keep doing this and it's not achieving results because I was thinking about it last night as well it's like what if in the end like Anna was like yeah there's this 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 and this like this is everything that I've seen this is what you need to do to get there Um, right, if you've got that right I'm going to die now like, if she'd done all that, in science, you don't just do an experiment once, get a result and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's the result that you get, because it could be a fluke. So they're going to have to do this again and again and again to make sure that what Anna said is right, so it doesn't end here. Yeah. So Anna becomes the latest person who's going to undergo this, and you know, there's not there's not a huge amount of dialogue in these scenes, but in these moments between Anna being taken and Anna being taken away, I just I my love for her grows exponentially because she doesn't give in easily. She's spitting this food out at these people, you know, she's there's this big bastard that comes in to beat her up every day. She pushes him right back, like she's not giving in to these people. And I just I love and respect the the fight that she has in her. Um oh, yeah. These scenes are also very hard to watch because who wants to watch a young woman being battered by this big bastard <laughs> like over and over and over again? But that's that's what this is. It's really it's really rough to watch.
1: Yeah, those are it's those are some of the hardest scenes in the whole movie. And it's really funny because they don't take up an astronomical amount of time. Um, And I think that's one of the interesting things that I did different than like a lot of uh, the American uh, torture porn type of movies where like like that is the torture is like the focal point. Whereas like for him, it was, um, it was a part of the story, but um, the story was what happened because of torture a small amount of torture itself and then also what happens because of it. Um, so you really you you don't see, I mean what maybe, maybe 15, 20 minutes of of her dealing with this, they give you kind of a montage look um at her um you know, weekly existence um uh before you know she goes on to her final test.
0: Um so after being beat up once again you know her eyes are all swollen she eats the food for once and you know the the person who's feeding her she's so excited when she's kind of like oh I think she's ready for the next stage so she you know she gets everyone together and they um take her through to this room with this contraption Christ knows what that is and this, the first time I watched this film I think with like every single step in this film you're just like what the fuck is gonna happen next and very much here and I'm watching it like this is maybe like the third or fourth time I've watched it and you see the pain on her face and you know what's gonna happen but I remember the first time I watched it after she's put in the contraption when we go to the next scene I was just like uh, where's your skin going? Like, I was not expecting her to be skinned.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was rough. Like, uh, seeing seeing her get flayed alive. Um, uh, like I, I get it from from their point of view in a weird way. I'm like, yeah, I guess that would be like something that like it won't kill you, but it's gonna be the worst thing that you've ever felt in your life. Uh, like bar none. Um. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really bizarre scene.
0: Very much so, because just like with her face, yeah, and, uh, and it's just it's so bizarre. And you just think on a like on a first watch of all the things you think are going to happen are on that contraption being skinned alive is not one of them. Like I thought she was just getting like an operation or something. It's like no no skin. Um, And then they leave her like hanging on this thing, like kneeling on the ground but like arms hanging up and then she has finally reached the state of martyrdom that this society, like all these people have been working towards and you know they phone everybody, this house is full of people being like right, what is going to happen next? Mademoiselle has like a, well, she just listens really has a conversation with Anna uh, from her deathbed we'll call it uh, it's meant to last around like two hours this conversation and you know there's this man Etienne he's there like Mademoiselle's going to be down any minute now to talk about what Anna told her you know of the four people we've had reached martyrdom this is the first person ever that's been able to give us an account of the other side unbeknownst to him, Mademoiselle's getting unready in this bedroom. The makeup's off, the lashes are coming off, and he's talking to her through the door, like, are you ready? Like, are you ready to tell everyone what's going on? And then she says to him, can you imagine what life after death is like? And he says, no. And then she says, keep doubting and she too dies by suicide which is so frustrating because I would love to know what Anna said to her but at the same time it feels like the only way this film could end
1: yeah I feel like um there there might be some clues as to what what she said but also um you know maybe um like i've i've seen you know competing theories on this and i was i was reading some this morning just to kind of prep myself for talking about this um and so some people were saying oh well you know um it could be like a scenario where um she told her what was going to happen and it was kind of this anticlimactic thing and it was like oh it's mm. the thing everybody told you it was going to be and like that's not interesting enough to have been worth all of this um and, because
0: is that way, if you had definitive proof of the afterlife, what is the point in living?
1: Yeah, exactly. Unless, you know, you have one of those afterlives that's very conditional where it's like you yeah, kill yourself or something, which, uh, you know, I feel like uh, may not have been a caveat, uh, just considering um but then also like maybe it's like a a good place kind of thing uh like like the tv show where it's like oh if you know what's if if you know how the good place works you're not allowed to get in mm. um and so it could have been that kind of thing um and so mademoiselle found out what was there and then found out that she could never get in uh and so decided to kill herself um she could have found out that there was nothing um and felt like that was sufficiently difficult uh to deal with um yeah there's just so many so many possibilities but I think the mystery is like the best part of the movie like if they had spoiled that it might be interesting but uh there's something way more interesting about just wondering what that conversation was
0: yeah um yeah, and I guess in another way, like that's why people call it nihilistic. But in terms of like being a film fan, like I love an ambiguous ending. Like I kind of love that we don't know, and that is the, and that is the point. Like you just have to live your life, and if there's something there, there's something there, and if not, then you'll quite happily be worm food, uh, like everybody else.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I it's it's kind of funny because I, I feel like a lot of people talk about the, the nihilism of the film, but I I think that the film in a lot of ways is like counter-nihilism where um it's you know all of these people that have um been so uh, instructed by this this nihilistic version of of religion, where they forgot that like the whole point of of you know religious faith was that you had to have faith. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, any version of the Bible you pick or any any religious book you pick, faith is kind of an important thing, and and that's kind of kind of the whole article of the thing is that um you can't get anywhere with that. And so here's these people taking uh, this scientific approach to finding out about the afterlife and. Uh, you know, kind of um, undermining the whole point of the thing. Um, and, uh, you know, kind, kind of a ruthless critique of that. Yeah. Um, but then also um, the the funny thing is, you know, when, when Anna was in her, you know, martyrdom state, she seemed happy. Um, yeah, so it almost felt like it was a weirdly good ending for Anna, despite everything that she had been through. Like, she's fine. <laughs> uh, I was thinking that
0: when I was watching it. Like, I don't know, is it that she's seen something or is it that she's thinking this is over soon? Like,
1: yeah yeah it could be that it could be um you know lots of pain and so her body just decided to you know her brain was just like endorphin rush time uh yeah. forever <laughs> and uh it could be that um what she told mademoiselle uh was like i can't tell you or something like that and so she got to die with this weird sense of self-satisfaction
0: yeah like i, I did think that myself as well like it would be the ultimate kind of like F you because like we kind of said like Anna's been such a fighter this whole time and if she were just compensate enough to withhold the information like what a brilliant way to end things it's like you've you've done all this for nothing basically.
1: Yeah yeah I mean even uh, you know Anna could have told them a lie too she could have said it's nothing Uh, or or it's hell for everyone actually uh (laughs) it's just made it seem awful
0: it's like uh, the more and more i think about it it's kind of like a lose-lose situation for the society because like you say like if they are with it enough to speak and like spin a yarn they have all the power really well not all the power but they have the power to just tell them anything. They could say literally anything and just completely waste their time. time yeah. Memoriam.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's no way to find out whether or not they're correct. Except for dying.
0: <laughs> Except for dying themselves, which, yeah, maybe they should just do that. <laughs> <laughs> they're so desperate to know, just, you know, go and do it. And <laughs> um, so. We've kind of talked a lot about like how this is like a really hard watch, but from reading up and stuff, the our two like main actresses, um, the girls who play Anna and Lucy, they said that filming it was a really hard time as well. Um, kind of being in that really dark emotional state was like really difficult. And um the actress who played Anna also um fell off of something and broke three bones in her foot which held up production for like a month Um. so yeah that was that was really tough as well Um, wow
1: yeah that i i feel like that that tracks that's such a a trope with movies like like when people do these really dark difficult movies it's like something that they don't forget um i know um one of the the kids that was in hereditary um the the the, the one who plays the son has been talking about uh you know it was like a really dark experience sometimes and even though everybody was lovely um uh, it's just you know having Tony Colette scream her head off at you you yeah. know so many times in a day or something like might be unsettling.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um yeah they both said it, it was just like it was just such an emotionally and physically draining process. That it wasn't like a fun shoot for them, and they've both said that they wouldn't want to work with this writer director again. Which I kind of get when this was born out of such a dark place in him, that it would have been like the funnest shoot today.
1: Yeah, he was probably a miserable piece of shit the whole time they were shooting. He's <laughs> <laughs> probably like not fun to be around at all. Um. And I, I mean, I feel like that tracks with a lot of directors. Um, there's definitely like some that I've seen people say that like I would never work around them again. And I always think about um, Lars von Trier um, because uh, there's some there's some people that say like I love him, I would work with him any day of the week. Um, and I think in a way like those people have worked with him on on like more. I don't want to say joyous because none of none of his, none of his films feel feel joyous. Um, but they're so over the top, they feel silly in a lot of ways, like, um, the house that Jack built, um, and it, the house that Jack built does have some weird dark comedy to it, like, like, for some reason, like, dragging a body behind his truck while he's got, uh, fame by David Bowie playing in the background, like, always gave me a little bit of a giggle and I don't know why, um, but, like, you know, Uma Thurman loved working with him. But then, then like, you talked to Bjork, who worked with him on Dancer in the Dark, and is like, it's the worst experience of my life. I would never work with him again, and I'll probably never do film again. Up until The Northman, she had not uh, come close to a movie camera.
0: Oh, wow. Um, in terms of reception, like, this film did the festival circuit and again very divisive it was known to have walkouts it, it was known to have someone vomit during a screening as well Um, uh, what what do you think about that? Because I feel like sometimes you hear like we covered The Exorcist a few weeks ago and it was like the scariest film of all time where people are passing out left, right and centre and I don't know if I'm maybe just a bit hardened or if these things really are enough to kind of warrant that kind of reaction passing out vomiting you know walking out yeah I
1: think I think they can be sometimes um but I think it's always about like uh when when a movie came out and so you know Hostile had a lot of that same stuff in its promotional saying that when they when they did the festival circuit a lot of people were passing out throwing up people were you know, nauseated or, or or just found it, you know, particularly difficult to watch. Um, and I, I think this film, I mean, I thought this film was more difficult than Hostel. I love Hostel in its own way, but Hostel is almost silly in enough scenes mm-hmm. that, like, there's some levity that breaks down, like, that rampant violence. Um, and then sometimes the violence is even kind of silly uh, whereas this, there there is not a silly moment in the movie. Like like this is depressing, um, from beginning to end. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like even you know with the, with the case of The Exorcist, like nowadays it's like oh whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but you know uh, when did that come out? Was it nineteen
0: seventy
1: eight? Nineteen seventy three. Nineteen seventy three. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking, in and that hit the the American, uh, film festival circuit, uh, just after, you know, kind of, kind of this large national upheaval, uh, where we had like a president get assassinated and then you've got the, uh, the civil, uh, civil rights movement, uh, kind of at its peak and you had the Vietnam war. And then all of a sudden somebody drops this, this movie, um, that uh has like a priest drinking uh and uh a girl fucking herself at the cross uh which i i know linda blair was messed up from that movie forever Mm. like she didn't she didn't want to do movies afterwards um granted she also got injured on the process of doing the movie um and so there were, you know, lots of lots of things that went into that. But I think that movie probably would have been jarring for its time, where now I think, yeah, we are kind of uh, jaded and desensitized in a little bit of a way where um, the exorcist doesn't hit us. Um, but like I saw um, another movie that I guess vaguely supernatural uh, last year, a Smile, which did get me a couple times. Uh, the cat thing.
0: Oh my god. <laughs>
1: That really got me. I was like, holy crap, I didn't expect that to happen. Um, and so yeah, I I, I don't but I, I don't know that horror is always gonna have that trajectory where like you have to keep going uphill, and maybe that's what like the elevated horror thing has kind of been about in the past couple of years, where it's been about atmosphere and setting these dark feelings, like not not a lot, uh, nothing super crazy happens in the witch. Yeah, uh, but I still thought it was a scary movie. I still felt unsettled the whole time I was watching it. So,
0: I just want to very briefly touch on the remake, mostly because you're about it, and our DMs made me laugh so much. <laughs> 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 um, when I was double checking with Sophia, like which one she bent, which like I'll do with anybody who DMs and asking if it films to cover just what year is it so I'm making sure that we're both watching the right one and I'm sure you said something like that one doesn't exist in my mind <laughs> or like to <laughs> pretend that doesn't exist and it makes me laugh so much <laughs> um, the director of Martyrs 2008 the one we were talking about had kind of similar really negative things to say about it as well Um. Can you just briefly sum up your thoughts on Martyrs 2015 because I I really want to watch it even though every single like review and everything's told me it's really bad I still want to watch
1: it. It's it's just kind of interesting because um when it's it's not to say that violence is good or necessary in a film but in Martyrs it is necessary to drill home the horror of the whole thing and so when you die down the violence that happens uh, you kind of lose um, even you know we were talking about um, how uh, you really grow to love Anna during this period of her being tortured because she has so much fight in her if you don't see any of that happen your emotional connection with Anna never really gets built in the way it should be built yeah. um, and so, so basically they took the same movie they redid it in English and they cut out Uh, a lot of the more gratuitous violence and it's almost like i don't know if i'm getting out of this movie what i originally got out of it um and it uh it feels like i ordered you know martyrs off of (laughs) wish.com you know i just i got the wrong film
0: oh like i still i still want to watch it because it's that way like sometimes with us remakes of stuff they just like of, like, um, foreign exports. They, like, sanitize it. And I'm, like, I'm curious to see how they've done that. And I'm, like, why do I want to watch this even though I know I'm going to have a bad time? Like, strange behavior, Lindsay.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I think the U.S. is good at making remakes of its own films, but we're not good at making remakes of other people's movies. Like, I think, um, and this is the only Zack Snyder film that I'll stick up for, but uh, The Dawn of the Dead that came out in around 2005, 2006... Uh, oh, it's a yeah. Zack Snyder film and James Gunn wrote the script um, and it's it's totally different than the original Dawn of the Dead but it, it's another movie that goes from zero to 60 in like five minutes like they give you like a nice little intro and then they're like okay the little girl next door is a zombie and you need to run.
0: <laughs> um, okay let's get into box office and ratings. So, Martyrs was made for a $3.69 million budget and it got $1.15 million at the box office. Doesn't surprise me. This would be a hard sell at the cinema, I think. Um, There was also some issues with um rating the film. I saw on Wikipedia anyway, there's actually a documentary about trying to get a rating for Martyrs in France because uh, they wanted to give it an 18 plus racing, and Logier was like, that's basically what you give pornos, like I was never going to make any money off this film if they did that, so they eventually managed to get it to a 16 plus, but I think that conversation basically happened everywhere in the world where they tried to release this film, because it does have quite a bit of violence in it, but I think in the UK it's an 18, I think that's fair. Um.
1: Yeah, yeah, Uh. Actually, um, uh, <laughs> in America, it got a, a release. Uh, well, it was it was the the distribution rights were purchased by the uh, the Weinstein Company. Uh, you know, Har- Harvey Weinstein. But uh, his his brother uh, watched the movie and was so absolutely revulsed by it that he decided not to put it in theaters at all.
0: Um, I but watch this bloody brother do all that. To I know, all right? He's in Hollywood. Oh, but a is too disgusting. All right.
1: I know, right? It's all a right, film. Look, look, at what, look at what your family's doing, buddy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So it was, it was a straight-to-DVD film in America, which is uh, ultimately kind of funny because that's how I found it, was I found it through this VOD service. And it was free. I watched all of the free movies because half the time they were pretty decent. And so uh, it's it's kind of funny because it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And I've watched it multiple times, but I only caught it that first time because Bob Weinstein was too afraid of the movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a good way to think about it. That's so funny. <laughs> um so in terms of ratings um I find it actually quite surprising this film is rated quite highly by critics and it's the kind of thing I would have thought they would destroy but it's got a seven out of ten on IMDB it's got a sixty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes critics and a sixty nine percent from the audience so I find that really nice to see um but as Lizzie and I say all the time we don't Care what they think. We just care about what we think. So, so yeah. yeah what would you rate Martyrs out of ten?
1: Oh God, I give it a solid nine. Uh, it's one of my favorite horror movies that I've ever watched. Um, and you know, it's 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 a high nine. It's 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 an almost ten, where I I don't have any specific complaints about the movie. It's just hard to watch. Uh, it's just you know it's such a difficult film, and so um. Uh, you know it's not it's not one that I I don't put on martyrs in the background while I'm working mm. uh, but I think it's ultimately like such a good movie if you've got the attention span to sit down and really sit with it and just kind of kind of be with that movie and be in that headspace for for two hours
0: Um, I agree I'll give this an 8 out of 10 Um, I like- I can't really think of any faults with it. I think other than the fact just because this kind of level of darkness maybe isn't my go-to. Like, every time I've watched it, I'm like, wow, this is a masterpiece. But if it wasn't for podcasting, I don't know if it would be one that I'd ever put on myself. Like, now that I've watched it, I'm like, okay, we can put that to bed for a wee bit. Um, But I think it's a film that horror fans, fans of film, should absolutely watch because... You know, it's so well known for it. its like depictions of violence, but it's just so much more to it than that. It's so much more than just this like, oh, someone gets battered like over and over and over again. There's so much more to it that. So I think everyone should put it on their list. Um, if you're a bit sensitive, make sure you've got your emotional support. Um, Cat, dog, friend, uh, teddy bear, whatever you need, because <laughs> it's not an easy watch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I had my emotional support cat at the time. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, I've I've watched it a few times since then, and because I know what's coming, I'm never you know as affected. But it's uh, was this your first watch for the for the podcast, or did you did you watch it before?
0: Uh, Lucy and I actually used to do another show, uh, and we reviewed it there. And for that, I watched it twice, and I oh wow. watched it just to make sure I really got it. And then I watched it again for this. It's one of those films like. Even like talking about it again, I'm like, God, I love this film, but it's—I don't think it's one I'd ever put on. <laughs> like, oh, I fa- oh I fancy watching Martyrs. I don't think like, ever envision myself seeing
1: that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those movies that I can't recommend to people. <laughs> uh, like, I I love um, either comedy horror or like as bleak as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I I I can't recommend this movie to anyone. Uh, because I've seen the reactions some people have to it, um, you know, you know, uh, being with somebody who had like a like a really serious panic attack over over watching this movie, I was like, okay, I should probably never put this on for people again, like mental <laughs> note. Uh, and you know, I guess I would grown up with a lot of people that were into you know kind of extreme horror and like really difficult films and stuff, and so it wasn't something that I really thought about uh but you know sometimes you uh you learn something uh from putting on the wrong movie <laughs>
0: um so thank you so much sophia for joining me today i'm so glad i got to talk to you about this film because it's been an absolute pleasure
1: yeah thank you for having me this was this is a blast i'm uh, i'm glad we got to uh talk about our really dark film and maybe bring some levity to it in a couple parts
0: yes um, where can our lovely listeners find you online
1: uh, you can find me on twitter at Alana Smithy so it's like Alan Smithy the name that they use for directors who want to abandon their films <laughs> uh, but it is Alana Smithy instead um, you can find me on facebook at Sophia Florence dash comedian and uh, show updates go there pretty often um, if you're in the northeast of the US um, you know I'm easy to find um but also um i you know if you follow me on either of those sites i will probably uh be hitting some some southeast locations uh provided the united states doesn't get any worse which you know we're gonna scratch at this point uh in the next couple of months uh over the summer so um i'll at least be going as far down as dc so
0: oh that's exciting yeah uh, <laughs> you can find me at hi it's lindsay underscore on all social media you can find lucy at lulu underscore pew on twitter you can find the podcast at girlfriend pod on twitter and girlfriends underscore podcast on instagram next week uh we'll be having a bit of found footage fun and watching as above so below uh so looking forward to getting into that but until next time stay spooky